0: Sometimes walls are put in front of us not to leap and hurdle over, but to lean against and rest and I needed to take a break. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host Aaron Milzinski, a multiple-time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner, and yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Hey everyone, welcome to episode one. It's gonna be a weird one. I really wanted to have a guest and I planned to have a guest my first episode, but I thought that that would be (laughs) Hypocritical of me because the whole podcast is about facing hardships, speaking about them, and building bravery through them. And so I felt like it was a bit of a cop out to rely on someone else. So here we are. I'm by myself in an off grid cabin, and I'm going to bring you episode one. So before I begin, when I get excited, I tend to blend words together, and it'll be a lot of that. So we'll see how it goes. But first of all, I wanted to tell you why I wanted to do this podcast. The idea began last year. And as some of you know, I had an idea last year to connect with our young generation of female ski racers by a bib project. And so I designed a bib with an amazing artist back home, two bibs actually, and put together a Google document for them to apply and sent, shipped, gave away over 400 bibs to female ski racers across Canada from all the way on the West Coast to all the way on the East Coast and connected with a lot of them or their parents or their coaches. And it was really beautiful. And as I was reading over the Google documents and I read them all by myself, a thought started to take shape because one of the questions was, why do you love ski racing? And from 13-year-olds, I expected, you know, the wind in my hair or hanging out with my friends. But what came up time and time again was, this is the best way to get over stress. This is the best way to release and it's the only place in the world I don't feel stressed. And that made me I mean joyous because we have ski racing and skiing, but also so sad because life just gets more stressful and I think social media doesn't help in this, you know, this way that we have of speaking only in highlights. And so I thought let's create a podcast. Let's talk about the hard stuff with mentors and coaches and athletes and girls and guys and all sorts of people and show the battles that we don't talk about that don't make the highlight real of our lives. And let's show how, you know, it's messy and it's gritty and it's resilient to get through them. But on the other side is the strength and bravery that we just never thought was possible. And I was thinking, what a better way to connect with people than to share some of those very vulnerable moments. And so let's talk about this unspoken bravery and use it as a way to kind of drown out that highlight reel and get actually real and raw and gritty and tell the truth. And so a lot of people ask me on my Instagram why I tell the truth. And I answered someone the other day, you know, what's the point of living this privileged life? Because I don't pull the blinders on. I know that what I'm doing is privileged and it's amazing. But what's the point in living it like this? And also what's the point in going through some of the things I've gone through, some of the hardships, if I'm not helping someone along the way? And so that's why I share. I share because it's normal to feel fear. It's normal to not have motivation some days. And it's normal to have days when you just sit at the side of the hill and cry. And it's also normal to have those amazing days and those highlights and days when you feel beautiful and like the sunshine, but it's just, it's not all the time. And we're showing it like it's all the time. With that, I'm going to get real and gritty and vulnerable with all of you. I'm super nervous and I'm going to tell one of my stories and I've told it in parts and I've told some people, but I'm going to try to tell most of it from the beginning. And I don't mean it in a way for pity, and I don't mean it in a way to say woe is me. It's it's not like that. It's It's just a moment in my life, and it happened, and let's get into it. So in 2013, in the summer, I was preparing for my second Olympic Games. I was coming off of two podiums the previous years, a first and a third, and I was close to, if not a podium potential, in Sochi. And I was working my way up in that summer at dry land testing. I had some of the best results I've ever had. I was crushing the bike test. I was str- crushing the strength tests, And that's the way I was treated too. I was I was kind of raised to this other pedestal and expectations were placed on me for sure. And so we went on our one of our first summer camps to New Zealand and we were training hard and things were going as planned. And I started having pain in my armpit and that pain slowly grew into a kind of golf ball sized lump. And it got to the point where I couldn't really lift my arm. So eventually I had to go to the walk-in clinic and I had to have surgery and have it removed basically. And the hole wasn't allowed to heal. It had to remain a hole. And every single day after skiing, I had to go back to the walk-in clinic to have that hole in my arm filled with seaweed, a seaweed-like mixture, I guess. And because if it healed over, then it created tunnels and it would have created more problems. And so I would ski hard every day and then I would walk by myself to the clinic and change the dressing and everything and walk back home and do dry land and live life as normal. And I was put on a course of antibiotics, which about three weeks later, after using the antibiotics, we found out that it was the wrong antibiotic and I had to switch antibiotics. So I was on antibiotics for Many many weeks and two different types, and honestly, it just it killed all the bacteria in my body, but killed all the good bacteria, and so I had no more antibodies to fight really anything. I had no, I had my body was done, and on all of our heart rate tests, I was red zoned, I was red lined, and I couldn't seem to get that energy back. And you know, I didn't rest. The Olympics was coming. I was a podium hopefully contender, and the Olympics were coming, and I needed to keep training, and so I did. And so that led into infection after infection, sickness after sickness. I think I got the flu twice that year, including one time I got the flu. actually, it was the night before Mayor Michelle podiumed in Altenmark. and that night I had the flu, and I was gonna go sleep in the bathtub because I didn't want to wake her up, and I had sweat through the sheets and um the next morning, I woke up and I pushed out the start and, and <laughs> skated with my pole between my legs in a speed race which those who know me I'm not a speed skier and that's not a fast way to exit the start or safe but my teammate had an amazing day and she she won and it was really cool but i was really sick and so i kept getting sick i kept having these infections and basically my results started to suffer i was asking my body to continue and i didn't have the energy to continue and so I pushed hard, and I needed to qualify for the Olympics, and I needed to be a podium contender. And my my results, my ranking, everything started slipping. And it kind of reached a breaking point. A little bit of a backstory is that I've had back pain since I was 13. I'm not sure if it was from gymnastics or from incredible tubing accident, but I had back pain since I was 13. And some sometimes it was fine, and sometimes it was excruciating. And that winter, I think it's because I was mentally fried. I was just done. My back pain flared up again and it was not manageable at all. But again, the Olympics were coming and I didn't have time or I didn't think I had time to take a break. And so I skied every other day, four runs a day. On the days I didn't ski, I would visualize skiing to try to keep my body and my mind in it. And I was on two types of pain medications, Tylenol, extra strength and Celebrex, which is pretty hard on your body. But I I kept trying and I kept pushing and I'd even turn to my teammates and, and ask them to remind me that throughout the day, my pain would get better because starting the day, I didn't know how I would do it to try to make me feel better. I couldn't bike on a stationary bike. I couldn't sit through dinner. I couldn't sit through a drive without stopping. I felt like a dog being let out of the car to use the toilet. I would just walk around for a while and the the worst is that I couldn't sleep and I'm a big sleeper and I slept with a chair on my bed and my feet up on the chair at a 90 degree angle and this is the way I prepared for the 2014 games. And I didn't want to admit it I think but slowly my heart was breaking, slowly my resolve was breaking, obviously my body was breaking and I was getting really scared and I had people saying, you know, you're doing this to yourself and and I think they're right. I was just so incredibly broken. And so eventually we went to the Olympics and it was exciting. And I raced an event that wasn't my event, Um, placed 20th, which was great for me. And I was still being so careful with my back. I was going for walks. I was, I was, you know, I was trying my very, very best and I came to my event and everything clicked. I felt rhythm. I felt confidence. I don't know where it came from, but it was there. And about two thirds of the way down the course, I was in About seventh place on that run, which would have been a good placing for the second run, but I straddled, and I, when you straddle, a gate goes between your legs, which is disqualification. You can't do that. So I was off by a few inches, and my ski took the wrong path, and that was the end of my Olympics. And something that had trained four years for, something I had put everything, everything, like literally financially, mentally, physically, everything I had into this Olympics, and. It ended. It ended with the straddle, with being inches off. And I went down and I watched my teammates and I tried to be strong. And, but I also knew what was coming because the day before I had had to. So in the Olympic Village, we get access to amazing medical care and, you know, there's dentists and there's MRIs and everything's free. And so the day before I had booked an MRI for the day after my race. And so I straddled. And as soon as I, Went out of the course, I knew that the next day I had an MRI and maybe, hopefully, we could diagnose what my back problem was. And, you know, that was really hopeful because it had been over a decade, but at the same point, I was terrified. Like, I was absolutely terrified. And so the next day I walked to the MRI by myself the Russian ladies running the MRI machine asked me to remove my breasts, which was different. And I sat in the MRI machine with the thunking noise, thinking about how much I had failed and what a failure I was. And I I got out of there and the Russian ladies told me a bunch of names in Russian, which I tried to write down and so I could Google them later. And, and they were really scary things that they thought was going on with my back. I left Russia and went to our next race location. And in that time, a Canadian doctor read my MRI. And he said, because there was so much damage and deterioration in my back, he thought very strongly that I had rheumatoid arthritis, which that that was really sad for me. And if anyone has rheumatoid arthritis, my heart, you know, it goes out to you, because that would have been uh, an incredible game changer for me, it would have been really hard to continue. And it would have been really hard to live the life I do now. And And it was, it was a really scary time for me, but again, I didn't rest. I just kept going with these diagnoses. I I just kept going and I didn't wait to confirm. I didn't wait to have a blood test, anything I kept going. And so finally I reached our last world cup of the season. My results were horrible. I woke up the morning of a race. We had a night race. So we were racing later that day and I woke up that morning and I had angry, red, non-itchy hives. All over my torso, so not on my arms, not on my legs. And so I ended up in the emergency room of the hospital at the race. And the doctor looked at me and we didn't even do any testing. And he's like, You're having an allergic reaction to a medication. And so we found out that I was allergic to Celebrax. So I was allergic to the only painkiller that was keeping me going. And it was really dangerous. It was a dangerous reaction. And you couldn't even test for it because it's it's so dangerous to test for. You have to have doctors and nurses and everything in the room. And I decided not to race that day. I raced the next day, though. And, and finally, I called it quits for the year. Went home and had some blood tests that came back inconclusive for arthritis. But I didn't stop there. I kept going. And I went to our Canadian nationals. And I put all kinds of expectations on myself to prove to our team and Canada and Everyone that I was worth it, that I could still do it, that I was one of the best in Canada um, and, and my body couldn't do it i I people had to carry my stuff around for me so that I could race. Um, I was terrified that if I fell, I would not be able to walk in the future. Um, my pain was so strong, and I didn't know what was wrong, so i was I was really really scared, and I kept I don't know why I kept racing. Finally, the season ended. Finally, the snow stopped falling. I guess that was my saving grace because then I had to rest because there was no more ski racing. And finally, I went to a spine surgeon and he looked at my MRI and we did further testing, some standing, some other tests. And he figured out that I have a, finally, after 13 years or 10 years, sorry, since I was 13, he figured out that I have a Spon B in my L4, L5 vertebrae. And that what that means is that my vertebrae one sticks out and it's called a step deformity. I don't know the level of mine, but there's different levels. And it basically causes weakness in the spine, I guess, because the spine tends to only hinge. If you picture a hinge and at that vertebrae. And so instead of bending like a curve, every movement I was doing was coming from that one vertebrae, which is where my pain was coming from and all kinds of inflammation and everything. And so I am a candidate to get surgery where they fuse two vertebrae together to stop that hinging. But at the time I was 23 and to get serious spinal surgery at 23, that's 60% effective, just didn't seem like an option to me, especially when I had just got the diagnosis and I hadn't done everything I could to fix this. I just had got the diagnosis and surgery was an option. And so he told me a lot of things that I could do. I couldn't do kind of explained why the pain was happening what movements cause it to happen. And he told me that if I, if I fell, I wouldn't become more injured. And I'm going to deal with this my whole life, this pain. But um, if I'm strong around that muscle, the other muscles can kind of work instead of that hinge. And I could teach myself how to move again. And so I went back in the summer and I trained really hard with my physio and I was exhausted. Physically, but especially mentally, trying to retrain my spine how to bend to not just hinge at that one vertebrae. I stopped all activities that cause pain. I I stopped road biking. I stopped surfing. I stopped paddleboarding. I stopped, you know, a lot of the things that you see me do that are incredibly fun. And I really focused on healing and I became my own advocate. I'd say no to a lot of things, which I had never done. I'm a bit of a people pleaser. And, you know, I want to say I'm so proud of myself for getting through that but I'm not I'm really not proud of how I handled it I did the only thing I knew how to do which was continue and to ski and to ski race and to be resilient and to be determined and it wasn't strategic at all I just knew how to put one foot in front of the other and yeah that's that's strength I guess but I I never rested and I never took a break and I never said this is it you know and I was an adult and so the next season, I promised myself that I would do it differently. I promised myself that I would listen to my body. I would advocate for myself. I would rest more and I would be strategic. And so the season began and I, I couldn't ski very often. I would ski until I had pain and then I would stop skiing. And I trained less than ever before. Um, but somehow I had this little confidence behind me, maybe because I had lost it all the season before, almost all. And I started to claw my way back up. I had lost. All of my rankings, and so I had to start kind of from ground zero. And what was really cool is that I celebrated the small successes. So when I could do six runs instead of four, I celebrated. And when I, you know, had two finished runs in the finish line because the year before I wasn't finishing, I celebrated. And when I had my first top twenty, I celebrated. And the year was filled with all of these tiny little celebrations. And this confidence and trust in this small circle that I had around me because I had lost trust in a lot of people the year before. What was really cool is that that was one of the best winters and seasons of my career. At least it was the most memorable. And the peak of the season is at World Championships in Vail, Beaver Creek. First of all, I came sixth in my event and I got to stand up on the stage in front of thousands of people while they cheered for Michaela Schifrin, who had won. But that was really cool, like feeling this, I don't know, energy and excitement for alpine skiing. And I was just in it and I was there and I came sixth after this terrible season. And that was really cool. But the memorable part and my people always ask, what's your favorite part memory of ski racing? And this is my favorite memory. It's when we placed second at the team event and the parallel event for the first time in history. And what's really cool is that Canada and ski racing is kind of David versus Goliath. And we kept going up against these Goliath countries, Austria and Germany and Norway and Sweden. And somehow we just kept getting to the next round and pushing further forward. And it was so cool because skiing is an individual sport, but we're part of a team. But at this parallel event, we were part of a team for a team. So I was racing for my team. I was racing more for Canada than I ever had in my whole history. And we came second and we stood on the podium at the world championships, which blows my mind. And we were, again, we were up against not only these Goliath nations, but these Goliath racers. That is the most memorable experience of my career, like podiuming as a team. And it's something I never even put in my goal sheet because we were David. It, it just didn't seem possible and we made it possible. And so I'm not saying that that wouldn't have happened with my, without my, I don't even want to say an injury, without my pain, without my problems the year before. But I think those problems made me stronger. They made me trust myself more. And also they made me take a step away from only solely focusing on ski racing. That it kind of took a step away from being the center of my universe. Um, It was still very important, but I knew that if I couldn't make the pain go away, I could not ski race anymore. And so when I could ski race, then it became this amazing experience for me. And it was so much more fun. Also, it made me realize that it made me hold my circle of trusted people closer and make it smaller. And What that did was it made me realize that I had been putting so much emphasis on my results for my value as a human being. And the year before, I felt like a failure because I wasn't having results. It wasn't going well. And I felt like I was letting people down. I was wasting my parents' money they had spent on me as a child. I was wasting resources of Canada. I was taking spots that I didn't deserve. And I just, I went from this place where I was treated like a metal hopeful to this place where I was treated like I was just completely broken. And I was, and for me, that felt like a failure. And so I started to untangle with the help of others, for sure, that self-worth from my results and realized that my value came as who I am instead of what I do and how well I do it. But here's the funny thing that all of these lessons, this bravery, this strength that came from that year, you know, advocating for myself, being less of a people pleaser, taking rest, valuing myself before my results, celebrating the small successes. That's a lot of lessons. And those lessons, it was a steep learning curve because I didn't have a choice but to learn quickly. But you know, the funny thing is that those are the same lessons I learn over and over and over again. And it's frustrating. And I was listening to a podcast the other day with Alicia Keys, and she said the same thing that it's frustrating just continually learning the same lesson year after year, making the same mistakes, what feels like the same mistakes, and kind of getting caught up. And What I'm hopeful for is that every time it happens, I bounce back faster. Every time it happens, I become more compassionate. I become more me. I focus more on my values. My inner circle becomes stronger. And I'm able to advocate a little bit more strongly for myself. And that's for my physical health, obviously for the pain, but also for my mental health. And we keep talking about it and it's becoming less of a a taboo subject to talk about. But now I have a sports psychologist that I chose, that I talk to, that I trust, that co- helps me come up with race plans, and I can talk to her about anything. And we come up with visualization plans and all those high-performance things that you can think of, but it also is coming up with how I want to show up every day, how I want to advocate for myself, and kind of the strength to get there. You know, I tell this story, again, not as a place of pity. And it's hard to ask for an out that year because sometimes with an injury, it's, you can say, oh, that person was just injured. That's why that happened. But it's hard when it's a chronic injury and not an acute injury, like a fall. I didn't fall. I had no excuses except that I was, I needed to take a break. I needed to take a breath. And sometimes walls are put in front of us not to leap and hurdle over but to lean against and rest and i needed to take a break and i i needed to do it before the snow stopped flying i needed to do it as a strategy instead of a last effort so i'm i'm not telling this as as pity or as an excuse i'm telling it because i haven't really spoken about it in depth and it's an unspoken battle that i went through but also I look back and I'm like why did you do these things but also I look back and I think wow you you went through so much and I trust myself more and not only, you know, mentally I I got through that and I I felt broken but I was unbroken and I kept going and I kept pushing which wasn't the best thing but it shows I can do it but The other thing is that a lot of you follow me on Instagram and you've probably seen enough of my workout videos to last a lifetime. I get that. And some people say, you know, take a break or are you overtraining? First of all, I have to keep my body strong to protect my back on my spondy. But the other thing is that now I want to push my body because there was a time in my life when I thought I would never be able to push it again. And so I like the challenge and I like seeing how hard I can push before it fails And often it doesn't fail and it's so cool to push a little bit harder. And it's pretty cool to listen to my body and also to listen to what pain I'm in and to switch up that program or go to see the physio or do my prehab to make sure that my back stays strong. And so it's pretty cool to say that I haven't had a flare up probably in five years. I haven't taken extreme pain medication um, since 2014. I trust my health again. And that took a long time because I kept thinking a bad diagnosis was coming. And so sometimes we look at Instagram and we see these highlights. You've seen me working out, you've seen me sharing and searching, some people say. But some of the workout videos are, you know, a highlight for sure, but a highlight because of what I overcame with my body and my back. And also what I share is to try to show resilience in. Sp- Bite of hardship, not because hardship doesn't happen. It lurks. it's everywhere. And the thing is is that it's easy to become afraid. I was afraid of falling, I was afraid of something bad happening. But now I can kind of feel that fear because I've gone through the process of rehab and knowledge and self-discovery. and I can feel that fear and I can do it anyways and I can trust my body more. And I think that that's that's where my bravery comes from. Especially pushing limits and doing all these kind of insane things sometimes. You know, I wanted to jump on here as the first guest of my own podcast and show vulnerability and show nerves and show imperfections because that's what life is. And that's where the meat of what we're living in comes from. And so I want to celebrate those imperfections. I want to build bravery through hardships. I want to show vulnerability and connect with people through it and i also you know want to unleash the resiliency in all of us and show that we do have some superhero strengths underneath all of our capes and sometimes that strength is not pushing to the brink of exhaustion sometimes that strength is taking a rest and learning how to do that and that that is a strategy and i really appreciate you being here and i hope that You'll come back and listen to our guests, our amazing guests. And I just want to thank you for sticking with me through it all because a lot of you were here through it all. And so with that, I'll leave you for the day and episode two will come eventually. Thank you for listening to Unspoken Bravery. My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Aaron Melzinski, or head to my website, aaronmilzynski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero.